You can turn your Bible to Micah chapter 5. The text is printed in the bulletin also. We're talking about peace this week. This week uh, in our Advent wreath, we light the shepherd's candle, as it's known. Uh, the shepherd's candle, the candle of peace, when the angel uh, appeared to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem um, to tell them the good news of the Savior's birth in David's city. The heavenly host praised God, saying, Glory to God, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the proclamation of the gospel, the announcement of Jesus Christ, is the declaration of peace on earth. It's the declaration of peace on earth. So what is peace? What does that mean? In the, in the Bible, even simple words like that have deeper meanings than we usually understand in our common use of the words. Right? The word peace, uh, our regular understanding of that is not nearly as, as uh, broad and deep and profound as what uh, the Bible means when it uses that word. So in the Bible, the word peace is a big deal. It's one of the central themes of, uh, of the scriptures. The original word for it in Hebrew, which is the language of the Old Testament, is shalom. That's the word that gets translated peace, shalom. And it's, it's more than a feeling of tranquility. It's more than a feeling of contentment, feeling of being at peace. Uh, it, it can include those things, but it's more than that. It's also more than when people stop fighting each other, though uh, it also includes that. It must include that. Shalom in the scripture, peace, means everything being the way that it's supposed to be. Everything being the way that it's supposed to be. Not just the way I think it should be, but the way God means everything to be. His purpose, his goal for everything that he has made. Everything that he has made acting according to its created nature and its, its destiny and his uh, purposes. So the Bible gives us a vision of what that means, a vision of the way things are supposed to be. It's called the kingdom of God. The Bible says things right now are not the way that they're supposed to be because of sin, because we've broken our relationship with God, because we've made war against him. We've made war against God, and the whole world is collateral damage. The whole world is collateral damage in that war. So we need healing, we need restoration, we need reconciliation to get from here to there, to get from the way the world is now, and the way things are supposed to be, to get to real peace, to get to real shalom. True peace um, is only found in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let me pray, and then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, we do need your help. Every single one of us in this room needs your help to be able to consider your word and not just think about it, but to receive it for what it is. Your word is the gospel. Your word is the proclamation, the declaration of peace on earth, and we need that. We long for it. We pray that you would show us how Christ is our peace this morning as we consider your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, 
From you shall come forth for me one who is, a, who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the other night we went to the kids' school for uh, Traditions Night. It was a night that the fourth graders, uh, both the fourth grade classes, were putting on and celebrating it. The school is a multicultural school. The, the diversity of traditions is celebrated explicitly. And, uh, and so the fourth graders presented a writing project, and each student talked about um, their favorite family tradition, their favorite holiday, right? Their favorite tr- tradition. And uh, the presentations were all in Spanish, but I think most of them were talking about Christmas as their favorite tradition. Uh, and, and most of those that talked about other traditions, some of them Halloween or Thanksgiving or whatever, um, <clears throat> They all cited the same reasons for enjoying their particular favorite as those who talked about Christmas as their favorite. And you could probably guess what that is. Um, most of the kids enjoyed their traditions because it meant spending time with family. That's what almost every kid said, I think. <laughs> it was in Spanish. <clears throat> uh, most of the kids enjoyed their traditions, whether it's Christmas or whatever, uh, because it meant spending time with family. And that makes sense to us. You, you probably could have anticipated that that would be part of a children's presentation about traditions and why they love the traditions that they love. Holidays are a time for, for family to get together, usually around a shared meal. That's normal. That's, uh, that's fairly well universal. No one really questions the essential goodness of that idea. Family coming together, sharing a meal together. Even those whose families are a broken, dysfunctional mess. Right? We've never really experienced a great holiday tradition because their families are just a wreck. They, they, they lament the fact that their family gatherings aren't what they're supposed to be. They're not characterized by peace like everybody wants during these, these traditional holidays. We have a vision for what it would be, uh, the, the way it's supposed to be. We want that to be that way. Even those of us who have never really experienced it, um, we don't say, well, it shouldn't be that way. We just say, I've never experienced it like it should be. And um, what we want for the holidays, what we want in our traditions, what we want as human beings is peace. And the relational part of that is the main part of that. The relational part of peace the reestablishment or the, the connection of our human relationships, especially in our families, it seems like. We want that. That's the main part of peace that we want. We want the discord to stop. We want the fighting to stop. We want the bickering and the suspicion and the resentment to cease. We want warmth and cordiality instead. We want conversations to be filled with laughter. We want to be able to look each other in the eyes with intimate acceptance and and rest in our relationships, right? 
We, we really look forward to creating that kind of atmosphere every time we enter the holiday season. And we often emerge from the holiday season disillusioned and frustrated and exhausted from attempting to create that kind of an atmosphere, an atmosphere where real peace is enjoyed because our dream of peace or our taste of peace is fleeting at best. On a global scale, uh, we love the story. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you've seen a little video that was made of the, the story of the World War I Christmas truce where there's, there's guys fighting in the trenches and it's pretty bleak, it's in December, uh, so nobody's comfortable and there's war going on and the French and the British and the German soldiers, uh, at least in a lot of places where there was there were battles taking place, they stopped shooting each other on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and, uh, and walked out into the battlefield, actually, into no man's land, places you don't, you don't just stand up and walk out there. And uh, they, they went out to the battlefield to sing together and even to exchange gifts on Christmas. But then the war resumed and they returned to killing each other. And you've got movies, and you've got books, and you've got video games, probably the majority of which are entertainment engages our imaginations in war, battle, fighting. Children, even brothers and sisters, even them, even the best of friends, Little children can't play together very long before battles begin and someone gets hurt. That's a normal experience in our house. I would guess it's a normal experience in your house. Adults find excuses for avoiding each other during the holidays. Courtesy in public discourse is in very short supply. Civil wars abound. Wars between nations, wars between ethnic groups, wars between religious groups abound. It's, it's, we're a world at war from the youngest to the oldest. doesn't matter who you are. We're, we're at war. We're a world at war, and this is true because we're at war with God. That's why we're a world at war, because we're at war with God. We were created to be one big, happy, diverse family, that's, that's what we were created. That's God's vision for us. But each one of us has revolted every man, woman, and child for him or herself. We rebel against God in various ways. My particular rebellion looks different from yours. But that rebellion against God, which is a spiritual rebellion, ultimately, that's the root of all discord. That's the universal reason for the lack of peace. Things are not the way that they're supposed to be because of our sin. And that's the picture you've got through the whole Bible, including our passage this morning. Our, our Bible, you know, so for the Advent, for the most part, we're jumping around in um, prophetic texts, the, the prophecies of ancient Israel that happened several hundred years before Jesus came into the world. Uh, Israel and Judah were already divided by this point, I mean, I don't know if you know your Old Testament history very well. Um, civil war took place in Israel, so that there was a northern kingdom that went by the name of Israel, 
and the southern kingdom went by the name of Judah, where Jerusalem was. And so there was already fighting in God's own, among God's own people, in God's own nation. Israel was torn by war, God's own people, and, and they're in trouble because of their sin. So 700 years before Jesus Christ, the Assyrians were invading, and they wiped out the northern kingdom. They, they just destroyed it. They crushed it. They trampled everybody underfoot. The northern kingdom was out of the way. They were bringing terrible war and destruction and captivity, and they swept through the, the northern kingdom of Israel, and they invaded the southern kingdom. And they were conquering cities as they went. Everybody was falling before them. Um, and now Jerusalem, now Jerusalem, which is the stronghold in Israel, in ancient Israel, in Judah, in the southern kingdom, now Jerusalem was under siege. And all of this was happening because of sin. That's what God's pointing out through the prophets. This is happening, you're at war, war among nations in the world is because you're at war with me. Because of your rebellion against me. This is happening because God's people had broken relationship with him. There was no peace. There, there was no peace with God. And God brought the Assyrians in to highlight that. He actually brought the Assyrians in to highlight the fact that people have no peace with God. It's like he's saying, you want to be at war with me? Well, this is what that looks like. You'll be totally destroyed. You'll be totally wiped out. War is not the right choice for you. So he says in verse 1 of our text, muster your troops, O daughter of troops. The tone here is mocking. It's actually mocking. Jerusalem didn't have enough troops to withstand the Assyrian siege. In fact, the Assyrian leaders uh, joked about it. They said, hey, we bet you can't get 2,000 guys to ride horses if you can. If you can get those guys together, we'll give you the horses. The people in Jerusalem were in big trouble, humanly speaking. They were in big trouble on the level of human politics, on the level of human wars. The thing that was right in their face was, here are these people, these other human beings that we are at war with, and they're going to destroy us. And it was because of their war with God. That's what God wants them to know. It's because of their war with God. The idea of winning a war against God is a joke. Wars exist in this world because we're at war with God. Families can't get along because we can't get along with God. Children fight each other because children fight God. Coworkers resent each other because we resent God. Neighbors can't stand each other because we can't stand God. There is no true and lasting peace on earth. Not even in one single relationship, not really. Because we do not have peace with God. So how do we get that? That's what we all want. That's the whole point of the whole gospel. Jesus Christ came into the world to bring us peace with God, first and foremost. But a peace that would eventually cover the whole earth. Where ancient Israel's Kings failed to shepherd the people into this peace. Jesus Christ, the true son of David, the true shepherd king, would be their peace. He would be their peace. Bethlehem, tiny, insignificant home of the unlikely King David, that little shepherd boy, 
whom God chose to deliver Israel from wars, to, to establish peace among God's people, Bethlehem, that tiny little place that didn't even qualify to register among Israel's military, didn't have enough guys to, uh, to be counted as a clan, that's what the text says, uh, Bethlehem would be the birth city of the ruler whose coming forth was from ancient times, prophesied in, in, the, in the Old Testament. Micah wrote of it 700 years before it happened, but the, the prophecies had stood from long before then. The lack of peace would rule until Jesus' birth. They'd be given up to discord and war until Jesus' birth, until this new shepherd would gather his people together and they would return to him. And he would give them true unity, true peace with God and with each other. He would wield the very strength of God himself, the very power of God, which is the power of love. God's power is the power of love. It's not a power to annihilate. It's not a power to destroy all of his opponents. It's the power to transform them through his love, the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus would wield that power, and he would... He would bring security and stability and peace to his people, beginning with their restoration with their relationship with God. That's where it has to start. That's the root of it. The reason why we're at war in this world is because we're at war with God, and Jesus is going to fix that. We expect that he would achieve peace on earth through force or through a show of force. I mean, that works for us, right? Intimidate each other into submission. Whoever can shout, the loudest and appear the biggest and scariest uh, arms race. That's how we establish peace, isn't it? But his peace is established through love. And it's a, it's a surprising way to establish peace, actually. It's a, it's a surprising love. Bethlehem, not a powerful place, very humble place. David, not a big deal, humble lad. And it was Jesus' humility that would end our war with God. His surprising humility, his surprising love. This is what would end our war with God. The ancient kings of Israel, the ancient judges, as the text puts it, they deserve to be humiliated. They deserve to be struck on the cheek. Jesus Christ allowed himself to be humiliated. He didn't deserve it. But he allowed himself to be humiliated, to be struck with a reed in mockery of his kingship. The just judge of all the earth allowed himself to be judged unjustly. And he was nailed up, the king of the Jews, in order to end our war with God. So, as Paul wrote and Cindy read in our New Testament reading, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through his humility, through his surprising love. We have peace With God. Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection, he has reconciled you to God. He has gotten you from here to there with regard to your relationship with God. He has put an end to the war. He's reconciled you to God, and all who come to God through him are reconciled to each other as well. With Christ as our point of unity, We have real peace with each other in the church. We're all reconciled to each other. It says in Ephesians 2, he himself is our peace. This is the same kind of language that we see in our text. He is our peace. 
not just our peace with God. He's our peace with each other. He's our peace who has made us one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. If there's going to be peace on earth, peace between human beings who can't stop fighting each other so that they can start living together and sharing and, and being together in love and real harmony, if that's going to happen, peace between us, it comes through Jesus Christ as well. So he himself is our peace. He's made us one. Anyone can walk into this room. Anyone, anyone can walk into the assembly of God's people and find peace with God and with brothers and sisters in Christ. Anyone. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. In fact, <clears throat> it's the only place in the world where true peace is enjoyed. Sometimes that's a matter for our faith rather than our sight. But, but in the church, this place where anyone can walk and walk in and and through their connection with Jesus Christ, have peace with God and with each other. This is the place where true peace is enjoyed, and it, it's because it's the only place in the world that Jesus Christ is explicitly our peace. The one who is our peace, he is our peace here in the church. <clears throat> he is our reconciliation. There's no hope for peace outside of him. If we don't have Jesus Christ as our peace then we're not going to have peace. The world cannot truly be changed apart from him. Human beings cannot truly be changed apart from Jesus. We cannot experience things the way that they should be, the way they're supposed to be, apart from Jesus Christ. Wars, violence, bitterness, enmity of every kind, the, the world that's at war with God has no solution for these things. They might wish that they did, but they don't. But here in Christ, we have peace, and we share it with each other. We pass the peace together, the peace of Jesus Christ. We look forward to the day when he returns to fully establish his peaceable kingdom on earth. In that day, the prophecies say that the whole world will be restored to peace. Everything will be set back right. Everything will be the way that it's supposed to be, even... Wolves and lambs and lions and calves lying down to rest and relax together and to eat together. Mortal enemies resting and eating together. No more strife. That peace that we will, we will fully know one day when Jesus comes back, that peace passes our understanding, but it will be true because of Jesus Christ, because he himself is our peace. And now, because we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, we may live in peace together and we may pursue Christian peace with other people. And the way that that reconciliation, the way that healing in our relationships will take place is only through Jesus Christ. If you want peace with anybody in this world, it's got to be a gospel peace. And, and those who have been transformed by Jesus Christ, those who enjoy peace with God and peace with their, their brother and sister in the church because of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> they become peacemakers. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who pursue real peace with others, who pursue peace on earth in light of the gospel. For the, They'll be called the sons of God. They really will reflect the character and nature of Jesus Christ, the true son of God, as they go forward in this world to bring peace wherever they go. So... 
We light candles at Advent because Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He's coming to the world at Christmas time, and he's coming again as the dawn of the new heavens and the new earth. And we light the candle of peace because in Christ we have true reconciliation with God and each other. It's the beginning. It's the beginning, the new beginning of the world made right in God's peaceable kingdom. So embrace that peace with faith and gratitude and pass it on to others as well as you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are our peace. That, that's a statement that could be very confusing. We pray that you would help us to know what that means by your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we may have true peace with you and with each other. We share the one Spirit of God, and we, we, want, to, um, we want to really know and experience that. We want to taste that. And we want um, to be moved in this life to maintain that unity, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We want to be moved to maintain it and to see it spread throughout the earth so that the whole earth will experience your peace. Wolves and lambs lying down together, lions and cattle grazing together. We, we want to see that spread as the knowledge of who you are and what you've done for us spreads and covers the earth as the waters cover the seas. We pray that you would use us as um, perhaps surprising instruments, but humble instruments in the advancement of your peaceable kingdom in the world. We long for the day when you will return and fully establish peace on earth, that it will be visible and tangible in every way. There will never again be a threat to our peace, to the way uh, things are supposed to be. And until that day, we pray that it would come soon. We pray that you, our Lord, who are our peace, you would come again soon, but that you would dwell in us and among us and, and move through us to make peace in this world that is at war because of their war with God. We pray that you would um, destroy our war and bring us to God in a way that really lets us to look at each other, look in each other's eyes with complete acceptance and intimacy and vulnerability and rest and without discord and strife anymore. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.